Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. A couple things as we're jumping in here, kind of remembering last week and then looking forward to next week. Again, I can't say thank you enough for those who uh, helped us serve last Sunday. Huge win, more people than ever from our church, but also then with the partnership with, with Crossroads. I mean, big impact. Uh, set the, I believe, again, a foundation for us to continuing to go forward with this. We've already met with Crossroads this last week, talking about the day and planning even more exciting things in the future. Just such a great day. And we're putting together a really cool video that will be shown in both churches, the same video, and then also something we can show throughout the year just to remind people of what we've done. But that said it so well. The city is very, very, very impacted by that day. And uh, we got to be missional in such a great way. And so thank you for being a part of that. If you didn't come that Sunday, you missed it or you're still unsure, I promise you, You do this and you will have a great time. It is a great day. And so thank you so much. And then looking forward to next week, um, man, it is all into doing the service, every part of the service. Like the people you're going to see when you walk in the door, they're going to greet you all the way through. And so come expecting uh, a great service and to be encouraged by what God's doing in our student ministry. And uh, come ready to smile at them because they're going to be super nervous. But this is such a way for us to allow them to own their faith and then use that in a way to minister to us. And so that's next Sunday. So in this series, Family Blueprint, asking ourselves a couple questions. What is God's blueprint for the family? And what is my role in that blueprint? And so today, I'm just taking a Sunday to talk about a subject that is huge and it's super challenging. I think that it is more challenging to parent now than it has been for a long time. I'm not going to say ever. I'm not going to go there, right? But you realize that this world has changed so dramatically in the last 30 years. More things have been invented in the last 30 years. Technology has, has just exploded. Uh, we are encountering new things, more new things in the last 30 years than we did in all the past civilization. Man, it is challenging to know how in the world do I raise my kids in this world? How do I do that? Um, you know, the challenges also are compounded by the fact that, honestly, just to tell the truth, our nation is increasingly secular. That's just the reality. This, this country that um, was founded on people coming over from other countries. That's the history of this country, right? And, and um, wanting to find a place where they could freely worship God, wanted to have a place where they are not burdened by certain things. And always there was a sense, even in our founding documents, of of allowing space for people to worship and honoring God. And, And even the way our laws are created so much has the fabric of the moral law of God in it. 
when it was written. But you and I both know that that is, it is shifting very quickly. And this is an increasingly secular environment that we live in. And our kids are growing up in something that was different even than what I experienced. And then generations before me, even you experienced. It's just the reality. I'm not a doom and gloomer here today. I just want to tell you that it's challenging to be a parent today. And when I talk, I talk from, uh, I'm in the middle of this myself. Uh, I've made uh, mistakes, definitely. Uh, I'm trying to figure it out myself. And I feel the weight of this challenge because I'm right in the middle of it. But as I've been thinking about it this week, honestly, uh, parenting never ends. And that's what they tell me, that even when they're gone, you're still parenting. And with all that we're dealing with as far as shifting ideologies and shifting moralities and new ideas, interests, and new truths given and all the stuff, you know what I'm talking about. I think it's just important that you that have a 25-year-old and a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old and as a grandparent, as you're coming alongside your kids as they're parenting, boy, this is a challenging time even for you. And we desperately, desperately need to make this at the center of our priority list of what we're doing, who we're about, and what our primary mission in the world is. I think this calls for us to be on our A game. Now, when you look at Scripture, there's mostly, and I hate to say this, but there's mostly negative examples in Scripture about parenting. Just to be honest. Okay, let's talk about the family. Let's understand the family. Go to the Scriptures. And most of the time, you're taught what not to do. Um, even some of the greatest people that are in Scripture who do fantastic things, in God's name, follow God's heart, are God's child, are terrible parents. I don't know if you know that. I think the reality is we need to remind ourselves that being a good person does not make you a good parent. Amen? It doesn't. I think sometimes it's easy to think, well, I'm a good person, then I'm just going to naturally become a good parent. It just like goes hand in hand. It does not. I've known some great, great people in my past who were terrible parents. Is that shocking to you today? Like, this is, this is something that we need to embrace that God is calling us to, that even in being a good person, God gives us uh, instruction that we need to learn how to be a good parent also. It just doesn't come naturally or hand in glove or good person, good parent, you know, same thing. No. In fact, I think about, you know, the first example in scripture to me is David. David was a man after God's own heart. I'm going to be honest, I would not have wanted David as a dad. No, thank you. I'll take Benjamin down the street. I don't need to be born into that family or in that palace because that dude has no idea what he's doing. In fact, he was called a permissive father. And his permissiveness caused so much turmoil in his own home that one of his kids killed another one of his kids. Another one of his kids raped another one of his kids. What a mess! A terrible parent. 
great person. So we need to remember that being a good person doesn't naturally make you a good parent. There are things to learn from God's word about what it is to be a good parent. Now, I wanted to start with just a holistic approach. I like these little lists that maybe you can hang on to. Maybe it's something you just grab into and and, uh, it kind of guides your thinking. But this is kind of, for me, I I like this list. It's helped me. These five C's that I think all of us want for our kids. Five C's that all of us want for our kids. I think this is supported all throughout Scripture. Five C's. You could say, you could probably make up five M's and five N's and, you know. But these are five C's. We're always grabbing truths or teaching and trying to put it in a way that we can walk away with. And so here's five C's. I think we all want for our kids to experience confidence. Right? I would say it this way. We want our kids to feel good about themselves and that they would know who they are because of whose they are. I want my kids to live confidently in this world. And I believe that is true, that can be true, because they are children of the Heavenly Father. They have nothing to fear. They are completely secure in Him. They will be provided for, protected by Him, if not here for eternity. I want my kids, and I know you want your kids to live with confidence. Right? Isn't one of the saddest things in the world to not only maybe personally experience deep insecurities that come from a lack of confidence or to see other people struggling with that? Like, as children of God, he is always, that's why repeatedly in his word, he's telling us how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, how much he will provide for us, why we should not fear. What is he trying to do? He's trying to breathe confidence into our hearts and minds. And so confidence, right? Right? I want my kids to be confident, do you? I'm not sure about Colby in the end zone beating his chest confident, right? But confident, obviously character. We want our kids to have a moral compass of values, making decisions of integrity, informed by an understanding of right and wrong. I don't think there would be a one of you that would say, nope, I'm out on that. We all want to raise our kids with character. But beyond character, there's conviction that not only are they living with integrity and understanding right and wrong, but they have beliefs that are so deeply grounded on biblical truth that they become internalized in their heart to the point of intentional action. Honestly, there's a lot of people in this world that have character, that have some measure of character that don't know Christ. Integrity can come without being in relationship with Jesus to a certain degree. It's not the full integrity, but there is integrity. But so often, like, we want them to have character, but we should raise them with conviction to do something about what they know to be right and wrong, to act on what they know to be right and wrong. Fourth thing is compassion. I think all of us would want our kids to be secure enough in themselves to focus on others and their needs. To love like Jesus loves. To serve like Jesus serves, right? These are goals for us as parents. I want my kids confident, charactered, convicted, and compassionate. And the last thing I would say is competent. 
I, I want my kids to be competent. I want them to be able to function and thrive, knowing that they have been given God-given gifts. They develop some skills that they can be effective contributors to the world around them. Amen? Absolutely. That's part of parenting. What is it that you're good at? How have you been gifted and wired? Let me help you find how you can become a contributor to the good of this world. Competent, right? Sometimes parents focus way on the competent and forget the compassionate, or way on the competent or forget the character, or way, get you what I mean? But I think this is a holistic approach, five season scriptures of our kids. Confident, character, um, conviction, compassion, and living with confidence. And so this morning, I just want to kind of, what we do, what we call a topical exposition, so to speak, about parenting. Four slogans or phrases that point to four principles that make us effective as parents. The first slogan or phrase that I think God calls us to is to live effectively as parents with the mindset of good, understanding good versus great. Good versus great. You've heard before it said that sometimes good is the greatest enemy to great. Listen to these words in Ephesians. Uh, you know, honestly, there's not a lot said about parenting in the New Testament. And so this is where we really have to gravitate toward to get a hold of what God's saying. And Ephesians chapter 6 opens this way. I only have the one verse, but listen to these words, the first three. Children Obey your parents in the Lord. So really, the thing that's said to children in Scripture is learn how to obey. And every school teacher said, amen. Not just parents, but every school teacher. Amen. Like, it's amazing. I've been thinking about this this week, children obey. What is it that God calls us to in Matthew chapter uh, 28? Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Obedience is a huge part, a huge part of how we learn to thrive in this world, to learn how to obey. And God says, listen, children, the number one thing you need to understand is obey. That's the first thing you got to get right. Everything else will follow. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, parents, and he says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. For me, the thing that is missed often in this is, okay, there's a negative There's a positive, but of the Lord is a key phrase. And this is where good versus great comes into play. I am called as a parent primarily, my primary role is to bring up my kids in the Lord. In the ways of the Lord. And this is where I see so much happening that the call of God is for us to be people who exercise this principle of focus. 
to understand that there is God's dream versus a human dream. And that God is calling us to, in the midst of all these competing things this world is wanting to mold and shape our kids with, God is calling us to continue to keep in front of them, to teach, to instruct, to train, to point them toward God's dream for their life. Most of the time, parents have good intentions for their kids. They have good dreams and plans for their kids. But oftentimes, their good dreams and intentions become the greatest adversary of the great dream of God's will for their kid's life. Amen? Stay with me here, all right? Because I know I could really, really kind of, kind of mess with you a little bit here. I, I, I wrestle with this all the time in my own life. What do I want my kids to turn out like? What does God want my kids to turn out like? Amen? Hopefully they're one and the same. But I will tell you there is a, there is a battleground that exists with this. You know, this is a simple, stupid, superficial illustration, but it really hit me hard. Uh, you guys know we're a sports family. We love sports. Um, I love sports. My kids have kind of followed suit in a lot of ways. And, and I love baseball, right? Um, how about those Cardinals? They're going to go to the World Series this year. You heard it here first. If you're a betting person, no, I won't encourage you to bet. But, um... Like, so, my son Keegan plays baseball all the way through sixth grade. He tells me at the end of sixth grade, Dad, I don't like baseball. And like, you could have pulled a dagger right out of my, or you put a dagger right in my heart. Not really, I love baseball. Keegan's like, man, this is slow. This is boring. Give me basketball, give me football. I don't want to stand at a position. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Not really, and I, I knew at that moment that actually, Keegan knows I love baseball, right? And honestly, he told me later, he said, Dad, if you want me to play baseball, I'll play baseball in junior high. And I realized, no. That's, that's what I want for my kid. That's not what's best for him. Can I get an amen? This is a huge battleground. And we need to be sensitive enough to realize that we cannot place our picture of what our kids' life should be on them. We should simply point them to Jesus Christ and allow him to work out his will in their life. I have talked to so many kids. I have a niece. Again, this has to do with sports, right? Great player. All-conference, all-state basketball player. She has nothing to do with basketball. She's in college, could have played college ball. Nothing to do with it. Now why? Because she enjoyed it. But dad made her travel all summer long playing it. And she hates it now. She wants nothing to do with it. He's like, really, that, that wasn't my deal. That was my dad's deal. He wanted me to be a basketball player. I liked playing and I was good. I want to be a pharmacist. And I wanted to, right? Come on, hear me now. I knew this was going to get a little. <laughs> I'm serious, though. In parenting, we have got to make sure that we don't get in the way of what God wants to do in our kid's life. 
Like, it might be God calling one of your kids into full-time ministry. And that might be tough. Like, ah, I don't know about that. God's dream, not my dream. Good, obviously, sometimes becomes the enemy of great. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, it says fathers. Uh, The Greek word, it's actually used in Hebrews as parents, okay? So the same word is, is interpreted parents in Hebrews. So, Parents is maybe a a way to say this, but it also seems to highlight the leadership of fathers in the home. There's no doubt. And it starts with this negative. Don't do this. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. That's what Colossians actually comes alongside and says the same thing. Don't exasperate your children so so that they will not lose heart. Don't exasperate them. Don't provoke them. This word provoke is is a way, it's an intense form of making them frustrated and angry. It means to create an irritation in their heart to the point that they become angry. And we're called as parents to carefully raise our kids in a way that we do not frustrate their lives. Frustrating their lives is when you're abusive, when you're overprotective, when you show favoritism, when you push achievement above relationship, when you neglect, or maybe when you are just discouraging and negative. All of these things work in a way that as we're trying to raise our kids up, we can, we can frustrate them in such a way that they become angry in their heart and they never, never see the good things we're trying to teach them. So he reminds them, don't frustrate your kids, but bring them up. This word bring them up is this, it's this provide for, it's this nourishment word. It comes with a broader sense of rearing children with a connotation of care. It's, it's the same word that's used in Ephesians 5, the chapter before when he says, as he tells men to love their wives, to cherish them and nourish them, he says no one ever hates his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. This is the same word. Nourish your kids. Bring them up in, the, in a loving environment. I just heard this week about someone who had never heard their parent tell them they loved them until they were seven, until their parent was 70 years old. Like Christian parents understand the necessity of creating an environment that is full of nurture. And if you don't naturally do that, figure it out because it's not about you anymore. If you're not naturally a hugger, go practice. Hug a tree. I don't know. That's got a whole nother, right? Hug something. Bring them up. It's this create an environment that is full of love and care and consideration, encouragement. This is what it looks like to raise kids in a godly home. Bringing them up. And then he uses these two words. He uses these words 
training, and he uses the words instruction. Now, they are different words. Training is what most of us wrestle with. Because training, it includes this idea of discipline. That you and I are to bring them up in a loving environment to teach them how to live self-controlled and to be able to restrain themselves from personal desires if those personal desires are wrong. To do what is wrong right. Bring them up and train them. It's not just, this word is not teaching. It's, it's more full and more active. It's, it's making it happen. If instruction is telling them what to, it's telling them, training and discipline is showing them and following through on it and making them. I know we don't like those words today, making them, but that's what this is. It's coaching, it's training. You know, biblical discipline is guidance with love. It's not punishment and anger. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. Discipline is an act of love. And you and I are called to be parents who train and instruct, not just train. And, and yes, maybe it's like, it's, it's paramount that there's a culture and environment of love but in that culture and environment of love it just doesn't stop there it's then a call to instruct and to discipline or train our kids in the Lord the three go together these positive things a loving environment where I am then instructing and training right I've seen homes where the loving environment part was there there was very little instruction and there definitely was no training I've also seen homes where there was uh, a lot of instruction and maybe even more training and not a lot of nurturing. Come on, say amen if you grew up in that home. They just all go hand in hand. It's, It's beautiful, but they are necessary. And so to train and instruct to train, it's an act of love. You love your kid when you train them to behave and then to live rightly. Okay? I say behave on purpose because early on you are teaching your kids how to behave. Right? Oh man, it's 10.02. I gotta keep moving. And so, If this is so important, I'm going to work hard to make sense. I'm going to bring discipline into their life regardless of their response. And I'm going to to do this in a way that there are fair consequences clearly communicated ahead of a time connected to an offense. There's a game plan in place. And I'm always, always aware that I must allow my kids to experience some of the pain that goes with poor choices because it teaches them the best. Kind of goes like this. And this is not my stuff, right? This is like renowned psychologists. This is kind of the idea. That from zero to five, you're the commander and you're teaching the rules. Your kids don't, they don't, that, at that point, they don't, they don't know any better. They need a commander. Amen? 
You guys, everybody thinks I'm crazy now. I'm telling you, this is, this is spot on, even if it's hard to swallow sometimes because our culture is teaching. But like, yeah, like this isn't a time to be having a discussion with your kids about, they don't get it yet. What they need to learn is just the rules, the black and white, right? This is what I am telling you to do. This is what you're supposed to do. I give you a warning. That's important, right? Nothing like just wham. Oh, my goodness. There's a whole process. But like concrete rules. Then it begins to shift six to seven. Where I'm growing that relationship as they mature in their little heart and mind. Super intentional about relationship. And now I move from a commander to an instructor. Like talking through things with them, showing them things. So they move to 11 and 12 and there's, begin to explain reasons. Begin to get deeper into the, the intellectual side as they are now mature enough to start to understand this. And I begin to coach them on why things make sense and why they don't. Until it moves to a point when they're 18, and we can all laugh about this. Now you're just a consultant. And sometimes you don't get called. But you're a consultant, right? But you're moving your kids along in a way, and, and this is an appropriate, appropriate way. Moving from infantile dependence to healthy independence. Remember that there is a relationship always between what they do and what happens to them. What I'm worried about in our culture is we're trying, and I have a tendency and a temptation to try to protect my kids from bad decisions, all the while missing the fact that sometimes consequences are the best thing for our kids. In fact, I would say that psychologists tell us that Consequences build self-esteem. When kids realize that their behavior has consequences, they learn that I have power and I have control. And it actually builds their self-esteem. When I go through, I do something wrong, I face the consequence. Oh, I can change that. It actually builds who they are as a person. The hardest thing to do with this is to be careful. And if you're like me, it's... It's easy to forget that obedience is a developmental process. So I'm instructing and then I'm training. Training is teaching them to obey, to help them realize uh, what God wants to do in their life. I'm amazed by Hebrews chapter 5 when it says that Jesus was a son, but even as a son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. I don't know what that all means. But as I've looked at those words in the Greek language, it's what it says. It wasn't some mistranslation. It's Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. And so the thing I want to remind you of today is that as you train and as you instruct, learn to discipline and and to don't do it in anger. Anger is what will create irritation will create frustration in your kid's heart. So, first thing, good versus great. Second thing, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. Paul said this, I'm writing this to warn you as my dear children. 
Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. You see, parenting is also this principle of modeling. It's focused on great, God's dream, but it's also understanding that who I am is a huge part in how I raise my kids. It's the principle of modeling. More is caught than taught. There will come a day when they will follow your example way more than they will follow your advice. So there's, there's good versus great. There's can't give what you don't have. And then there's live connected. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, and actually before that, he talks about mothers who care for their kids and fathers who encourage, comfort, and urge. And he is referring to the fact that there's a principle of relationship that must exist. Relationship becomes foundational for everything that you're teaching. In fact, I would say this, they won't care until you care. And I would remind you that the ways to connect with your kids, to live connected with your kids, showing them unconditional love, right? Even when they mess up, you are always separating them from their action, so to speak. You love them always, even in the midst of maybe their poor actions. You schedule time with them. You focus attention. Man, this is harder to do with cell phones and all sorts of media now, but focused attention on your kids where everything is put down. We still practice supper. We eat supper together. Do you guys call it supper or dinner? Supper or dinner? I call it lunch and supper. Other people call it, I don't know. We call it supper, which is kind of weird. Dinner is probably better. But... um, we sit down, there's no phones at the table, amen? Like, no phones. We talk. And sometimes it's, it's, uh, it becomes a referee match for Nicole and I. Because something said, and then something said, and then all of a sudden it's like, this was supposed to be really good for us. And now I wish we were just all eight in six different rooms. We still practice it. Like focused attention, eye contact meaningful touch wrestle with your kids dads wrestle with your kids your boys need to have that touch it, it, it's amazing man we don't like to touch as much but it's amazing the security that comes from your kids feeling your touch your hug your wrestling your girl our girls dads i'm speaking from my father's perspective right now but they need to know what it is to have uh, touching that's non-sexual right it teaches them so much security and so much, it, they, that's so important, so important. Meaningful touch, having fun together. I mean, make up traditions, create adventures. Some of the things that we talk about over and over with our family is these things that we've had fun together. I make it my mission every morning to try to make my kids laugh on the way to school. Sage, I can get there. Keegan, not so much. I want to, right, have fun always. In fact, sometimes they think I'm ridiculous. But I want them to remember that, man, life together is fun. And even though there might be challenges and even though there's struggles, even though things don't go the way we are, we can still in the middle of all enjoy one another, enjoy God's grace and blessing, and we should always find reasons to have fun together. 
When's the last time your family just had fun together? Pray together. Most powerful moments with me and my kids have been praying with them. Praying with them. Right? Live connected. And the last thing is keep it real. Keep it real. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. This idea that John puts out there is that we are people that realize we're not perfect and that we are always willing to confess, hey, I need help. And this comes more, it's so clear in parenting, right? And it's the principle of process. It's your kids need you to hear things. They need to hear you say things like, I'm sorry and please forgive me. It's what makes you credible because you're not a perfect dad. You're not a perfect parent. You're not a perfect mom. And when you are humble and you keep it real and you're willing to say, hey, you know what? I don't regret, I've had to say this from experience. I don't regret what I said to you. I was dead on right. But I regret the way I said it to you. And I'm sorry. Because I'm emotional, right? And my voice raises. You guys know that. And there's been many times when I've said the right thing in the wrong way. And it would have never, it would have wounded my kids. It would have frustrated them. If I didn't go back and say, you know what? What I said was right. Like that's instruction. That's training. That's bringing you up. This is pointing you the right way. But the way I said it was so bad and so wrong. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. All right, I've spoke long enough. It's 10, 12. Father, Lord, just help us. You have a blueprint. Again, as we've talked about from this series at the beginning, that, Lord, strong homes create strong churches. Strong churches help influence local communities. Local communities can impact culture. We are in a culture war, and the front line is the family. And a big part of that is being godly parents. And Lord, we have to remember that just being a good person is enough. We need to remember that there are tools we need to use to be a good parent. And so Lord, help us to always remember good versus great, to focus on great. Lord, please, please help us to, uh, to keep it real to practice humility, to say I'm sorry, to please forgive me. Help us, Lord, to live connected, to not lose relationship with our kids, to always work toward that end, to encourage, to strengthen, to comfort, to move, to understand that relationship is the foundation for any kind of influence and training and instruction in their life. And Lord, help us to remember that we can't give what we don't have. Help us to model a relationship with you and a life of excellence so that they can have a compass to follow. Help us, Lord, in these things. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.